happens through us that can help someone in life. But there are times that we recognize that there are things that happen to us that can also help others in life as well. And I think Paul recognized that. Paul's arrested. There are things that happen through him. There are some things that God does through him. But there are some things that are out of his control and they happen to him that God used in order to impact the people around him. And he realized that what was happening to him was actually advancing the message, the gospel of Jesus. And many in the general Roman population knew why he was there. But Paul doesn't say all people. He said all God's people as he's addressing this letter. And so because Paul lived for Jesus, he lived to advance the message of Jesus. He, he lived to care for people in Jesus. He, he, and, but he, he, as it continued to advance like one person to one person to one person, we don't find him necessarily preaching to thousands and seeing thousands come to faith in Jesus. We see him going to small groups of people. And in Acts 16, we actually see him going to the city of Philippi and finding a very small group of people praying by the riverside. And he initially reaches a a businesswoman and her family, then a prison warden and his family. And then he would go on from Philippi, which Philippi itself was this colony. It was a retirement a colony for Roman soldiers. But he would go from Philippi to Thessalonica. He would go to Berea, Athens, Greece, Corinth, Ephesus, and later to Jerusalem. And it was there that he, like his Savior years earlier, would be arrested. Acts 21, Luke records this. He sa- it says, The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. And after his testimony to the Sanhedrin, this Jewish supreme court in Jerusalem, a plot was discovered of Jews wanting to kill Paul. And so the command was given that two, uh, two centurions would order that a, 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 a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen would go to to Caesarea and bring Paul safely to that place. They would provide horses for Paul so that he might be taken to Governor Felix. That's 470 Roman soldiers protecting Paul. Claudius Lysias writes a letter to Governor Felix, and Paul is then held in Herod's palace. Acts 25 records Paul's defense. He says, I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I'm now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I've not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I don't refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. 
After Festus had conferred with his consul, he declared, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Later on in Acts chapter 26, Agrippa says to Festus, this man could have been set free. There is nothing that we find that would make him guilty of what the Jews are saying he's guilty of. Had he not appealed to Caesar, we could just simply set him free. But because he appealed to Caesar, he would make his appeal there. Acts 28, 16 says, Luke recording, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And later on in Acts 28, he records, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It was during this time that Paul would write back to his friends in Philippi as a thank you note of sorts. And all God's people here send you greetings, especially those in Caesar's household. God's people were numbered among Caesar's house. A man who wanted to be seen as a God would fight against a God who would become a man. In the Gospels, the name Caesar, Caesar figures into the life of Jesus. We find Caesar Augustus mentioned at the birth of Christ and Tiberius Caesar at the beginning of his public ministry. So one of the prominent figures in the New Testament was the first Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. He ruled from 27 BC to AD 14. He was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar and this Caesar was murdered in 44 BC and Augustus eventually succeeded him without a rival. He refused to be called dictator. However, in 27 BC, the, the Roman Senate called him Augustus, which was a name giving the implication that he was to be venerated above all humanity. And Augustus was ruling Rome when Jesus was born. He's the one who decreed that the entire world would be enrolled for the purpose of taxation. Luke records in chapter 2, verse 1, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken of all the inhabited earth. What's big is that Caesar unknowingly fulfilled biblical prophecy. When, when Augustus made this decree that everyone in the empire be enrolled in a census, he had no idea that he was fulfilling what God said through the prophets hundreds of years earlier. But the decision that he made some 1,500 miles from the Holy Land started a chain of events that led to the birth of Jesus in the predicted city of Bethlehem. The Bible says Joseph and Mary went from Galilee to Bethlehem to register in the census. The 80-mile journey, which is fine for us in a car, right? But the 80-mile journey would have taken them four or five days. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, Luke records, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. There would be no reason for these two to leave their city had it not been for Caesar's decree that this might happen. Joseph was a descendant of King David. 
he had to travel to the city of David, to Bethlehem, to register. And it explains why God chose a girl who lived in Nazareth to be the mother of the Messiah rather than one in Bethlehem. In going to Bethlehem, the prophecy regarding the city of the Messiah's birth was fulfilled for Micah wrote, Micah 5, 2, but as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will go forth from me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And the irony is that Caesar Augustus, for whom deity was claimed, claiming himself to be a human God, fulfills this prediction of Scripture, the birthplace of the true God who would become human. And then there's Tiberius Caesar. We find him mentioned at the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist. Luke records in Luke chapter 3, now in the 50th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysonius was tetrarch of Abilene in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Why in the world does Luke mention all of these names? I think it's because many of us might think that this is some myth or some legend. I remember being 10, 11, 12, I don't remember. I remember sitting in a Sunday school class. I don't know what I necessarily believed. I just knew that we had grown up with this. We grew up going to church. Just kind of the the thing that we used to do. But then I remember looking up on the wall and I saw a map of Paul's travels, that there was a place and there was a place in time that these events were taking place. And even though this was before I would give my life to Christ, I began to realize that there was something that happened in history and that this was much, much more than myth and legend. The only mention of Tiberius by name is in Luke's gospel here. And he's referred to as Caesar on two other occasions. One, at the question of, who do we pay taxes to? And then the other, at Jesus' trial. There's this question of the, of the tax. Should people pay taxes or not? And Jesus says, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? Caesar's, they said to him. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And there was also the charge that Jesus was attempting to overthrow Caesar. In Luke chapter 23, the whole body of them got up and brought Jesus before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Christos, the Christ, the King. The accusation was that Jesus was opposing Caesar. The Jews also accused Jesus that his claim to kingship meant that he was no friend of Caesar. So from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. For anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar. For all that governments and authorities have tried to do to stop this Jesus movement, for all that authorities and governments continue to do to try to stop 
this Jesus movement, the movement made its way into the very household of Caesar. And as I was thinking about that this week, I remembered a challenge that King David once gave to other kings. He said, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king in Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings... This is David warning the kings of the earth. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. One king's call to the kings of the earth. One, serve the Lord. When you wake up, report to your king. My king, how can I serve you today? How can I serve you today? And it isn't just the kings of the earth who have a hard time submitting themselves to the king of kings. I think there are times There are areas of our lives where we have a hard time submitting ourselves to the king of kings. But his challenge to the kings and to all those who would submit their lives to this king of kings is to serve the Lord, but it is also to celebrate his rule. Now, how many of you like that word, celebrate? You know, we we enjoy getting together with family to celebrate Thanksgiving and, and eating together and just being together. Yesterday, at about 11 a.m., I turn on ESPN to watch College Game Day because College Game Day is in Columbus, Ohio. There's a big game in Columbus, Ohio yesterday, and at 11 a.m., my nerves and my butterflies already started because my Grandpa Red raised me to be a Michigan football uh, fan. And for some strange reason, I get crazy nervous uh, when my team plays, but especially on the weekend of the game. And so there were times where I would celebrate, whether it was um, a turnover, a touchdown, whatever it might be. And as my parents-in-law know, I can celebrate pretty loudly and I have to keep it down, but Thankfully, I was all by myself with my dog and my kitty cat yesterday, and I could just yell, and my heart's content. When anybody who saw me after yesterday heard my voice, they were thinking that maybe I was sick, and I was like, nope, just hoarse. I I even had a hard time singing this morning because my, my voice was cracking. But all throughout those three hours that Michigan played Ohio State, I got to celebrate another victory by the Wolverines. Go Blue. 
Now, I love to celebrate. All of us love to celebrate. We love to celebrate Christmas. We love to celebrate birthdays. Here, David is challenging the kings of the earth to celebrate his rule. Celebrate. It's why we worship. It's why when we sung those songs, I'm thinking, ah, let's just worship after we preach. Celebrate his rule. There are many different themes that we could celebrate. Birthdays, Christmases, that kind of thing. Teams. There are different themes when it comes to our relationship with God that we can celebrate. But here David is is challenging people to celebrate his rule. Celebrate God's leadership in your life. Celebrate the way that God has directed you to this point right here and right now. And celebrate that God continues to lead your life. Serve the Lord. Celebrate his rule. Take refuge in him. At any point, Paul could have gotten down about his chains, his imprisonment, being beaten, left for dead. There may have been times when he he was down. In fact, there were times where he did experience anxiety. You know, all of us were challenged by his words in Philippians where he said, don't be anxious. And yet, he confessed to those who were reading his letter that he, in fact, felt a lot of anxiety when it came to this friend of his that came from Philippi, that came bearing gifts to care for him from these friends, these brothers and sisters in Philippi, and that Epaphroditus almost died because he was so sick. Paul confesses that he felt so much anxiety over this that he said had Epaphroditus died, he would have felt sorrow upon sorrow. I think there are times in our lives where we think, why aren't things going well? Why, am, why is this happening to me? Why is that happening to me? But, but for Paul, through it all, he found that he could take refuge in his Savior. He, he found safety in his Savior. And he realized that his chains were actually bringing more people to Jesus. And it may feel like that what you're going through has no meaning. But all that Paul went through brought more people to Jesus. His imprisonment meant at times that he was chained to a Roman guard. So guess who was a captive audience to Paul sharing the message of Jesus? I believe they're saying that he would be chained to a Roman guard for a 24-hour period. And then there would be another guard that would come and another guard who would come. One by one, Paul got to share with those Roman guards the hope that he found in Jesus. And there are two reasons as I close this message out. Two reasons why I love this little verse. One, it it shows us there is no one beyond the realm of God reaching them. I think there are times in our lives where we think this person would have nothing to do with Jesus. I think of friends that I've got where, you know, when they talk about what they do or the words that fly out of their mouth and, you know, there are times where I think, yeah, there's no way that these people would want to have anything to do with Jesus. And then lo and behold, God does something. And they come and they share what God is doing in their life to draw them closer to him. When maybe they haven't had a relationship with him at all, 
or maybe they haven't had a relationship with him in a very long time. There is no one beyond the realm of God's love and his reach. Friends, keep praying for them. Keep loving on them. Keep sharing the message of Jesus with them because who knows, maybe members of their house will come into God's household. The, the second thing that I love about this little verse is that I love that there was a connection between Jesus' followers in Caesar's household and Christians in Philippi. Johnny's international version might read, my fellow Jesus' followers in Caesar's family heard that I was writing you. They wanted to make sure that you knew how much they care for you, love you, and are praying for you. Could you imagine being those friends back in Philippi and hearing that Paul, that Christ was having an impact through Paul in order to reach a household they thought was unreachable? May we, in this season of hope, continue to have hope that there are people in our lives, in, in our sphere of influence that God can reach, whether it's through us or through somebody else, but that we would continue to see God working through us and see those things that is happening to us as God's way of reaching people who we thought were unreachable. Let's pray. Father, as we celebrate your rulership, your leadership, not only in our lives, but throughout all of history, throughout all of creation. I pray, Father God, that you will help us to never forget that there is a plan and that somehow you have invited us into that plan. Father, I pray that as your children who also get to be your servants and servants who also get to be your children, Help us to serve you. Help us to celebrate you. Help us to take refuge in you. And it's in King Jesus' name that all of God's kids say, amen.